Chapter 2, Jehovah, the Unchangeable, Intimate God. Derived from the Hebrew word Chava, which means to live, the name Jehovah is literally full of life. It is written into the King James Version of the Bible as Lord, and it means to be or being. Again, derived from the Hebrew word Chava, C-H-A-V-A-H, which means to live. The name Jehovah is literally full of life. It is written into the King James Version of the Bible as Lord, and it means to be or being. Now that you have seen God as all-powerful, mighty Elohim, who desires a covenant with those whom he created, you will love meeting him as Jehovah, the Revealing One. The name of God brings him forth into a very special, personal way. It is the very essence of the present tense. Has the Lord ever spoken to you? He has spoken to me often through divine impression in my spirit. I have known that these sweet and precious messages were from the Lord, that is, Jehovah, the Revealing One. I remember a specific time when he characterized this wonderful side of his personality. As I was praying, I said, Lord, it's such a privilege to live for you. And he said, Marilyn, you don't only live for me, you live with me. Jehovah reveals himself as your intimate, personal God. He walks with you, always in the present tense, and he will never leave or forsake you. See Hebrews 13.5. The more you grow in this relationship with him, the more of himself will he reveal to you. Jehovah also denotes the unchangeability of God, with whom is no variation, neither shadow or turning. James 1.7. Psalms 102.27 says, But thou art the same, and the years shall have no end. Jehovah is the one who is now and always been. This is the God of life, the God of eternity. In our study of the name Jehovah, we will study the life of Moses in the book of Exodus. Moses was called by God to deliver his people from Egypt. Moses' family was aware of his calling, and they were a family of faith. They were also enslaved to the Egyptian people. But through miraculous circumstances, Moses grew up in the Pharaoh's palace and was trained to be the next Pharaoh in line. Quite a comfortable set of circumstances. To the natural eye, it probably appeared to Moses' parents that he couldn't possibly become a deliverer of the Hebrews. He had it made. Why would he want to deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptians? But God deals with a person until he wins. And God dealt with Moses a 40 years of age. At 40 years, Moses finally decided that since God had called him to deliver the Israelites, he might as well get on with it. 
Have you ever tried to help God? I know we all have at times, and Moses was no exception. His emotions overwhelmed him one day when he saw an Egyptian man beating one of the Israelites, and he killed the Egyptian. The problem Moses' actions created, the Egyptians were furious, and Moses had to flee for his life. Then the Egyptians really cracked down on the Israelites, which caused him to become enraged, and Moses too. Moses fled to a place called Midian, where he tended sheep for 40 years. 40 years. I often wonder about what he did during those 40 years. Some biblical scholars think that he wrote the book of Job, and he very well could have. Some say that he wrote the book of Genesis, but I think that Genesis was written on Mount Sinai, along with the rest of the Pentecost. Moses gained wonderful experience on how to survive in the desert, would need this experience when he would lead the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. Moses also learned about a leading and caring for sheep, and people often resemble sheep. The prophet Isaiah said that, like sheep, we have all gone astray. See Isaiah 53.6. God is so economical. If you give him the opportunity, he will use everything in your life to bring glory to his name. I'm sure that Moses did not expect God to glorify his situation. In fact, I think Moses lost confidence that God would ever use him again. But Moses forgot that God plays until he wins. And when God wins, he wants to make you a winner too. Each victory is a credit to God. The Apostle Paul said it well. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.14 God set some high goals for Moses because he wanted Moses to win. God has set goals for all his people. Don't allow jealousy of other Christians to rule your life. You're all a part of the same body of Christ. Israel, support other Christians by saying, when you're doing well, so am I, because we're part of the same body. Whenever I visit Oral Roberts University, I don't get jealous. I don't complain. God, why did you use Oral instead of me? No, Instead, I let it stimulate my faith, and I say, Dear God, if you can do it for Oral Roberts, I know you can do it for Marilyn Hickey's too. Amen. Success is a credit to God's kingdom. Moses didn't have anyone around to stimulate his faith in the way we can for each other. So God stepped onto the scene with every intention of turning Moses into a winner, even though Moses wasn't aware of it. One day, Moses was tending sheep near a place called Mount Harold, Sinai, which means fresh inspiration. After giving Moses 40 years in the wilderness, God was getting ready to give him fresh inspiration to accomplish his goal. God 
can give you fresh inspiration, even if you're really blown it. He will always pick you up, and he will never put you down. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bowl in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. Genesis 9. 11 and 13. Elohim showed himself in two ways. He created a rainbow by his mighty power, and he made a covenant with Noah. That rainbow was God's sign to Noah that he would never flood the earth again, and the rainbow should still remind you and me of the same covenant. God, mighty and powerful, wants to protect his creation. When you see a rainbow, think of Elohim the God who entered into everlasting agreements with his people. God made a covenant with Abraham too. The first time God ever spoke to Abraham when he was still called Abraham is recorded in Genesis 12, 1 and 3. When God first spoke to him, he used two names, Jehovah and Elohim. Now the Lord has said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed." This is how God revealed himself to Abraham, as a God of blessing. He was speaking as Jehovah. You will study the name Jehovah later, but these few verses will allow you to distinguish God as Elohim, the covenant God of might. And Abraham said, Lord God, what will thou give me since I go childish, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own vows shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them, and he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Genesis 15, 2 and 5. God was co covenanting with Abraham to give him a child. When Abraham said, Lord God, he was saying, I know your ways because you have revealed them to me, but I want a covenant with you because you are able to give me a child. In this covenant, God commanded Abraham to do three things. Leave his country, leave his relatives, and travel to a land that God will show him. But Abram obeyed only two of the commands. Although he left his country for the land of promise, he took two of his relatives with him. 
Abraham was accompanied by his nephew Lot, meaning a wrapping, and his father Terah, meaning delay. Terah really did create a delay for Abraham. God wanted to make a covenant with Abraham, who was to become the father of faith. But Abraham could not make the agreement while his eyes were on his family instead of on God. While traveling to the land of promise, Terah was very old needed to stop and rest. Abraham, Lot, and Terah halted their journey at a place called Haran, which means dry and parched. They stayed there until Terah's death two years later. God had commanded Abraham not to take his relatives, but because Abraham did things his own way, he ended up in a dry, parched place where he couldn't hear from God. We are supposed to love, honor, and obey our parents. That is a commandment from God himself. But we are not to revere our relatives above the word of God. That's when trouble comes. Let God have the very first place in your life. When you do, your spiritual walk will never become dry and parched. It will always be refreshing. Abram had been delayed for almost two years. And when he finally did reach the promised land, he found famine. Imagine how discouraged he must have been felt. After a two-year delay in the desert called Haran, Abram finally arrived at his destination, only to find similar terrible conditions. In addition, Abram hadn't heard from God in two years. Abram probably wondered whether he would ever hear God's voice again. Many people wonder why God rarely speaks to them when they haven't obeyed his first instructions. Silence might be God's way of saying, you haven't finished what I asked you to, to complete. When you fully obey my first words, I'll speak to you again, but not until then. It took Abram a while to get the hint. When he finally reached the land of promise, Abram built an altar between Bethel, which means the house of God, and Hai, which means a place of ruin. I would have built the temple right inside the house of God, but Abram was just beginning to walk by faith. Perhaps he wasn't ready quite to build a temple in Bethel. The major activity with which Abram concerned himself during his lifetime was building altars. He was a man who communed regularly with God, Jehovah. He highly esteemed the covenant God of might. One really positive point in Abram's story is that although there were delays, God always overcame them. Be encouraged by the accounts of the men of faith who paved our way. We have the opportunity to learn from their mistakes and to be encouraged by how God divinely overcame the flaws of their humanity. Abraham, his wife Sarai, and Lot traveled to Egypt to avoid the famine. When they returned, Abraham's altar had been destroyed, so he rebuilt it. Then Abraham took his family and moved it to a place between Mamre, which means fatness, and Hebron, which means fellowship. Perhaps this was Abraham's way of saying, Satan, you can't destroy what I built. I just rebuilt it. And not only that, but I'll build a second, even better altar. Abram's new altar was significant because it showed that his communion with God was flourishing. But Abraham was still having troubles with unbelief concerning God's promises about his descendants. 
He and Sarai still had not had any children. Abram probably said, just in case I don't receive children from God, I can raise my nephew, Lot, as my own child. Abram was trying to play it safe just in case God didn't come through on his part of the bargain. Eventually, however, Abram and Lot had no choice. They had to separate, and it turned out to be the best thing they did. They both had herdsmen who were tending flocks, and soon these herdsmen began to have great disagreements among themselves. One day, Abram confronted Lot. Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and your herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me, if thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Genesis 13, 8, 9. Abram really exercised his godly qualities. He didn't say, well, Lot, since I'm older, you're, you better honor me. I'll take the best portion of land. No, Abram said, Lot, there are two sections of land, one to my right and one to my left. You choose whichever one you prefer, and I'll take the second that is left. Many people who read this instantly think that Abram was being humble because he didn't want to take the best for himself. But that was not true. Abraham knew Elohim, God Almighty, and the God who makes covenants. Abraham didn't care which section of the land Lot chose. He knew that regardless of where he lived, God would protect him. Lot immediately looked around and saw two things. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comes unto Zoar. Genesis 13.10 Then Lot said to Abram, I'll take the nice well watered plain over there. You can have the mountain regions. Having their decisions, Lot and Abram separated. Abram and Sarai moved to the arid mountains area, and when they got there, what do you think happened? God spoke to Abraham again. The Lord said to Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Genesis thirteen fourteen through 15 It must have been wonderful to hear from God again. Abraham finally knew that the time was near to draw into a covenant with Almighty God. When God spoke, Abraham, Abraham did not merely look around casually and say, This for me? Oh, God, how nice. The Bible says that Abraham lifted up his eyes. I believe he looked upward and received the vision of faith, enabling him to see what God was or what God saw. When Abraham looks northward, I think he saw the entire northern part of the Holy Land. Southward, Abraham saw far, far beyond the mountains and block that block his view. Eastward and westward, what do you think he saw? 
He probably saw all the way to the Mediterranean Sea and over into the Jordan. Abraham's relatives were out of the way. Now he could focus his eyes on God who instructed him further. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Genesis thirteen seventeen. A faith vision isn't enough. You have to do more than just have a vision. You have to live it. You have to walk it. Again, a faith vision isn't enough. You have to do more than just have a vision. You have to live it, and you have to walk it. I once heard about a man who would sit in his rocking chair on his front porch and say, I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million dollars. Do you think he ever received a million dollars? No. You can't obtain a million dollars while sitting in your rocking chair. You don't get things by wishing for them. Some people have the, the vision, but they don't have the action that goes with it, and they miss out on their blessings. God told Abraham, in effect, you have to act on this vision. Walk through the land. I will give you the land under your feet. I think Abraham was the world's first jogger. He jogged north, south, east, and west. I can imagine what the Canaanites said as Abraham jogged past him. Who is this man who just jogged down the road? Someone probably asked. I don't know, but I saw him going the other way yesterday. Abraham was running as the man who would possess the land. He was thinking of God's promise that his seed seed would possess the land. As he ran, I'm sure Abraham said, This is mine, this is mine, as he prepared himself to enter into a covenant relationship with God. But after Abraham claimed that land, something happened, and it didn't surprise me a bit. A wicked king named Chedorlaomer rose up, a group of other kings, and they traveled down from Elam, present-day Iran, with trouble in their minds. They attacked Sodom and Gomorrah, land upon which Abraham had trod, abducting people and stealing their possessions. The king even captured Lot's, Abraham's nephew. The devil will try to steal what you claim. When you claim something and tread upon the ground of God's word, by speaking his promises, you have better prepare for battle. Some people take their claims, but as soon as the enemy says you can't have that, they'll lie down and play dead. Of course, the devil will try to steal your blessing. Jesus had told you that he would. But through Jesus, you have power over Satan and can refuse to let him take anything from you. Abraham wasn't about to play the enemy's game. He really got bold. And Abraham said, They can't do this. I trotted upon this land. It is mine. This land is mine, so I won't put up with the enemy's tricks. I wonder, how could one man be so bold? But then I realized that it's because he knew Elohim, the God of covenant relationships. He knew that God would not have given him land if he wasn't going to help him keep it. The land was for his seed's seed. Abraham banded together as a group of men, and they went up to Elam and took back everything. Some people say, Nuclear weapons will destroy the world. But I don't think that will ever happen because God is bigger, mightier, and more powerful than any bomb that man has ever made. 
God is not going to have his earth blown up until he's ready to finish it the way he wants. He will do it by fire, but I don't believe that fire will be started by an atomic bomb. I don't accept that idea because God knows how to take care of his creation and he has done so for a very long time. God knows how to care for you because you have entered into a covenant relationship with him. By faith, you're the seed of Abraham, and God told Abraham, Surely blessings I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. Hebrews 6.14 He is your covenant-making God. He is the God of might and power. He strengthened Abraham and gave him might and power to win. And God will give you might and power to win also. Genesis 15, 18-21 says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thee thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river of Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenesites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites, Genesis 15, 18, 21. When he entered into a covenant with Abraham, the Lord God said, We have a relationship between ourselves, and I'm giving you all this land. What would it take for Abraham and Sarai to realize the impact of having a covenant with Almighty God? At this point, all they seemed to realize was that they were supposed to have seed children, and they still didn't have any. Abraham must have thought, it's going to take a lot of might and power to keep this covenant because we're way past childbearing years. However, when Abraham was 99 years old, Sarai was 89, God finally told them that they would have children. He also changed their names. Abraham became Abraham, which means father of a multitude, and Sarai became Sarah, which means princess of many nations. How could this be, the Bible says, that Abraham laughed out loud when God changed his name? He simply didn't believe that he would father many nations. And Sarah laughed too when she overheard God telling Abraham that he would have a child. Abraham's divine visitor said, Sarah laughed, and she was embarrassed that she denied it. Nevertheless, Abraham and Sarah did have a child, and God prenamed the baby Isaac, which means laughter. Abraham and Sarah both laughed, but God had the last laugh. Hebrews 11.11 11 talks about Isaac's birth. Through faith, also Sarah her, herself received strength to conceive seed. It took more than just Abraham's faith to have seed. Both he and Sarah had to be in agreement. The word strength in Hebrew comes from the Greek word dunamis, which means miracle working power. Who gave Sarah the miracle-working power? Elohim, the God of might and power. You need to have a renewed image of the God of might and power, the God who is more than able to see you through any difficulty. If God, Elohim, is for you, who can possibly be against you? No one. Elohim is more powerful than any person or thing that exists, and he is on your side. God wants you to rely on him as your source of power and might. He, he wants you to be 
Elohim to you. He wants to be Elohim to you. For you and I, you and you. Right now, no matter what the circumstances in your life might be, you will be, will you let him renew your spirit, mind, body, emotions, and image? Yes, yes, yes. Every time you see the word God says that Elohim, the God of might and power, and he is my God, praise the Lord. Every time you see the word God say, say every time you see the word God displayed, you say to your, out loud, that's Elohim, the God of might and power, and he is my God, praise the Lord. Again, every time you see the word God say to yourself or out loud, that's Elohim, the God of might and power. And he is my God. Praise the Lord. Following are some scripture reference that refer to God as Elohim. When you need his power and might to work in your life, read through these scriptures and refresh your vision of his covenant with you. Psalms 91, 2 and 4 says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings thou shalt trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Psalms 91, 2 and 4. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts, that they shall not depart from me. Jeremiah 32, 38-40 And Solomon said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath who keepeth covenant and mercy with thy servant that walk before thee with all their heart. 1 Kings 8.23 Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusted in thee, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God Most High, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Salah, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Psalm 57, 1 through 3. 1 through 3. Book Review by Marilyn Hickey. As a founder and president of Marilyn Hickey Ministries, Marilyn is being used by God to help cover the earth with the word. Her Bible teaching ministries is an international outreach via television, satellite, books, CDs, DVDs, and healing meetings. Marilyn has established an international program of Bible and food distribution, and she is committed to overseas ministry often bringing the gospel to people who have never heard it before. 
Marilyn, along with her later husband, Wallace Hickey, founded Orchard Road Christian Center in Greenwood Village, Colorado. She has two grown children, five grandchildren, and four great-grandchildren. Marilyn is about 85 years old or 88. Dear friends, the purpose of learning God's names is not to give you head knowledge. Now, we're reading her book called The Names of God, which is a powerful, powerful uh, book of how God entitles himself. God is our provider, healer, shepherd, rewarder, and so much more. So this is uh, in conclusion. I usually like to read the in conclusion because it is in a nutshell, and it gives us the interest of the main uh, body of the book. I know it does me. It raises my awareness, and so here we go. Marilyn says, Dear friend, the purpose of learning God's names is not to give you head knowledge of who he is. The purpose of knowing God's name is to increase the closeness of your relationship with him and for him to become alive in your daily circumstances. You should know who your God is because he wants you to know. That's why he revealed himself through different names. Use God's name to personalize the scripture. For example, say, that's Jehovah Jireh, he's my provider. Let God reveal himself to you in your environment to meet your need. Again, you can say, that's Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. Let God reveal himself to you in a very special way. One of the first names I used was Jehovah Raha, Rofi, the Lord my healer, along with a Bible promise. I prayed that name over a tumor I had in my breast. At first, I saw no results, but within three days, it began to shrink. No one can convince you that he is my Jehovah Rofi, that he is not my Jehovah Rofi. You cannot argue with experience. You cannot argue with a miracle. Information cannot bring transformation until it is applied. I challenge you to pray the names of God over your needs and keep a journal of answered prayer. The scriptural principles found in this book will bring you miracles into your life. Again, the principles that are found in scripture in this book will assist you in bringing miracles in your everyday life. May God bless you richly as you call on each of his powerful names. Marilyn Hickey. Okay, now is the in conclusion. So for, I would say Jehovah, this is how I would apply it. Jehovah Rofi, the Lord God is my provider. And then I can say, my God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's overall. Or I can say, my God supplies all of my resources according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Jehovah Rofi. Right? Oh, Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. Jehovah Rofi, I would say, Jehovah Rofi, that's my God. He's my healer. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus' back. 
I am healed by the blood of Jesus. I can apply that to hell issues. Or Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. I have all that I need, all that I want. My God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against me will prosper, but I will prosper in the thing that I do. For Jehovah Jireh, he is my provider. Okay, moving right along. I'm just taking things out of memory to get your interest in how we can implement on everyday things. Okay, I'm going to read the introduction now out of the contents. Uh, the introduction goes, it says, Dear friend, Marilyn says, The names of God is one of the sweetest revelations God has ever given to me. This book is not only for information, it is for transformation. In Isaiah 33, 6, the prophet declared, And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. Again, Isaiah 33, 6 reads, And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. That verse is an apical today as it is when Isaiah first spoke it concerning the sins that plagued Judah centuries ago. Today, the threats of economic crisis, recession, viruses, terrorism, nuclear and chemical warfare dominate the media and try to instill fear in our hearts. It's comforting to know that God has promised to provide stability in these precarious times through knowledge and wisdom. But how does God reveal his knowledge to us? Primarily through his word. And one of the most meaningful ways he reveals himself to us is through his names. When you study the names of God, it will open your heart to God and his provisions. Each of God's glorious names reveals dynamic dimensions of his miraculous characteristics. As you study the things that are relevant to each name, they will reveal the power of God to you. Each name will give you another aspect of his power. These are some names that might not be familiar to you and will bring shocking revelation into your life. What? Read that again. As you study the things that are relevant to each name, they will reveal the power of God to you. Each name will give you another aspect of its power. There are some names that might not be familiar to you and will bring shocking revelation into your life. Okay, got it. Through studying the names of God, we can learn the key on, tape, on tapping into his infinite supply of energy, power, and find stability during even the most adverse situations. I know that as you begin your, your study on the names of God, he will reveal himself to you in a most intimate and personal way, and his glory will be reflected in your life. And Marilyn asks, his love and mine, Marilyn Hickey. 
You know, one of the scriptures that comes to mind, I was meditating last night, was in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. He told them, you are mistaken. You don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. He goes, you are mistaken. You don't know the power or the scriptures of God. That fits in here really good because through knowledge and wisdom, we're going to access through our understanding and apply these names to every situation. Amen. All right. I'm going to end that right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your names and thank you for giving us your math, Lord, your mathematics that are, that are in your name and your mathematics that are applied through your name through every area of our lives, Lord. Each area has a mathematical equation, summation, Lord, and answer. And we thank you that you're teaching us to be good professors, good analysis, good calculators, and good mathematicians with your word, Lord, as we apply it to every circumstance on our lives, Lord. We ask you for the knowledge, the instructions, the availability, the confidence, Lord, in receiving your word, Lord, your numbers for our lives today to show everyone your grace and your glory. Amen. Glorify your name in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 1, Elohim. The Sovereign Mighty Creator, Elohim, Elohim. Elohim is the first, very first title of God that you encounter in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. The Hebrew word for the name God is actually El or Elohim. Fascinated in its translation, this name is one of God's more frequently occurring titles. It shows up more than 2,500 times in the Bible. It is important that we understand its meaning. Al is the root word for Elohim, and it describes God's greatness and glory. It displays God's power and sovereignty. Although this word is composed of only two letters, it offers a glimpse into the depth of the Hebrew language. This is a language of pictures. Consider the name Elohim, which extends the scope of El's root meaning. Elohim brings forth a new dimension for the God of power. He becomes the God who creates. Thus far, two facets of God make up the word Elohim. Total power, might, and complete sovereignty, and complete creativity. Notice that in the Bible's very first verse, God was shown as the creator. In using the name Elohim, Genesis 1-1 makes that statement that tremendous, unimaginable power is involved in the force of God's creativity. Elohim in his mighty power and creativity caused our vast universe to exist. Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. 
God's name Elohim is amazing in itself but it bears another striking characteristic that makes it even more distinctive the Hebrew ending for Elohim is plural why because it describes the divine trinity of the Godhead Father Son and Holy Spirit no singular word could describe this element of God's personality several places throughout the Bible confirms this plurality Genesis 1 says this about the creation of the first man, Adam. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Genesis 1, 26-27. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all involved in the powerful creative process that occurred upon the earth. Genesis 1 shows that the Holy Spirit was present and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, on the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, Genesis 1, 2 and 3. Why was the Holy Spirit moving upon the face of the waters? Because he was preparing to create. Jesus was actively involved in the creation process too. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be throne or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Colossians 1.6 Active, present, and full of creative power, Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This increases the impact of Jesus' shocking statement to the religious men of his day. Before Abraham was, I am, John 8:58. What an exciting, infinite personality. I like the analogy. God is the architect, Jesus is the builder, and the Holy Spirit is he who breathes the life of God into the structure. Again, God is the architect, Jesus is the builder, and the Holy Spirit is he, the one who breathes the life of God into the structure. Elohim, those who are mighty and powerful, those who are creative and sovereign. There is yet another facet of Elohim, making him an active part of his creation. It is Elohim who makes covenants with those whom he created. Later you will study the name Jehovah, the name in which God reveals his ways. Elohim is the name in which God reveals his power. It is this very power and creativity that allows God himself to enter into a covenant relationship with you and me. The Apostle Paul has a revelation of Elohim. Romans 1. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul said, God's covenant of salvation with you and me is his power. 
Don't ever speak lightly of the gospel. God's covenant with us because that is his power that gave us eternal life. His power that saved us now and forever. Our covenant-making God, Elohim, sustains all that he created through his own might. Throughout Genesis, whenever God created, he spoke first and then manifests his power. He spoke first and then manifested his power whenever God created. Naturally, Elohim loved his creation and he desired to preserve it. Although God was protective towards the people of his creation, they only seemed to get better and better at being worse and worse. As the people sinned, they separated themselves further from their creator. God is merciful, but he is also holy and righteous. Sin was and still is offensive to him and sometimes had to be done had to be done before the people destroyed themselves. Elohim observed that his growing in sinfulness was preaching like cancer through each successive generation. Excuse me. Elohim observed that this growing sinfulness was spreading like cancer through each successive generation. As man continued in this downhill pattern, God began to notice a man named Enoch. Enoch was outstanding in his hunger for God, and his life was fairly uneventful until he reached the age of 65. But then something happened that turned his life around. His wife bore a child and told him, Name that baby Methuselah, which means... I had enough of this sinfulness, so when the child dies, a flood will come upon the earth. That's what it means, Methuselah. I had enough of this sinfulness, so when that child dies, a flood will come upon the earth. Surely no child received that tender, loving care that Methuselah received. Enoch lived in a day that was devoid of modern medicine. Death was a freaking visitor, and it often claimed the lives of small babies and children who lack resistance to disease. You can imagine Enoch's shock. If this baby dies, the deluge will come and totally destroy the earth. Take good care of him. Something began to happen within Enoch's heart as he cared for Methuselah. He began to respond to his creator. During the next 300 years, Enoch cultivated his relationship with God. Finally, something really tremendously happened. Enoch walked with God, and he was known not, for God took him, Genesis 5.24. One day, Enoch was going about his usual routine, increasing in faith, when suddenly God just reached down and carried him out of this life and into life eternal. To translate means to carry across, Hebrews 11.5. That Enoch was translated by faith. Methuselah was still alive, growing older, probably people keeping people on pins and needles. The people knew the day was coming when the flood would arrive. Although Enoch had been walking closely with God, the same thing cannot be said about the older brother in the generation. Their, their sinfulness vexed God continually, yet Methuselah lived longer than any other person recorded in the Bible. 969 years. His life was tremendously long for one reason. 
God kept extending his mercy and grace, hoping to preserve his creation. He loved those people and he did not want to destroy them. Methuselah had a child named Lamech, and one of his sons was Noah. Notice that the family line, when you enter into a covenant with God, his promises also make you made to your children and each successive generation thereof. Generations of your family, one day God spoke to Noah. The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth, Genesis 6.13. God proceeded to give Noah directions for building an ark, and Noah obeyed. Over the years, people began to take God's warning for granted. I would have thought that when Noah started building, they have said, Oh no, Methuselah, Methuselah is dead and God is going to send the flood he warned us about, but the people reacted totally different. They scoffed at Noah. They had almost 1,000 years to repent. Noah preached. Noah preached continually God's intentions, but people still rebelled. God always warns his people. God always warns his people. Beforehand, when judgment is on the way, he wants to give everyone a chance to repent first. One day, I was picturing Noah in my mind and imagining how the, he built the huge ark. The Lord began to reveal Noah's fate to me. Noah had tremendous faith, especially considering the fact that rain had never fallen before upon the earth. Noah built the ark as to comply with God's specifications, and it took 120 years to accomplish the task. Just imagine having people harass you for that long. He had every physical reason to stop in the 18 year and say, I had enough of building this ark while everybody else lasts. God, this is ridiculous. I never even seen rain before and here you are me preaching that there was going to be a flood I quit but Noah didn't give up instead he confidently held on to God's word and continued to build the ark cast not away therefore your confidence which has great recompense or reward for you have need of patience that after you come that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promises. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. All right, now I kind of dozed off. <laughs> it's kind of hot out here. Uh, Noah didn't give up. Instead, he confidently held on to God's word and continued to build the ark. 
Hebrews 10, 35 and 36 again, cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense or reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Noah received a big reward for his patience. He had fulfilled the will of God. He and his family were spared, and the seed parts of the earth were saved so that it could be replenished too. When God calls you to accomplish something, don't quit. God could have said, I had it, I'm destroying this whole earth, but he didn't say that. Noah could have quit very easily, but he didn't, and you should never give up either. You have been creative in God's image, and God never quits. After having accomplished God's will, Noah and his family were spared. When the flooding was over and the ark rested on top Mount Ararat, God revealed another facet of his personality to Noah, the Elohim, the God who makes covenants. God first spoke to Jehovah and told Noah to make a sacrifice unto him. God first spoke as Jehovah. The animals Noah offered made a sweet-smelling sacrifice to the Lord. Then something beautiful happened. 